Oh, hey, thanks so much for joining me on the Cocti podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm really excited to share with you my interview with Blair Brown. He's one of our Quest for the Cure cast members. But first, the news. The biggest news, of course, is Quest for the Cure. This coming Saturday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, we're releasing another episode in support of Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy Research, featuring an all-star cast of Ed Greenwood, creator of The Forgotten Realms, Amy Lindazura, Emma Wakelin, Eric Morden, and Blair, we're going to be getting our hero on for a great cause. But the best part? You can too. Yes, that's right. You can join this squad, play some D&D. If you register for our 2020 team at jessiesjourney.com, you can be eligible to win the sixth spot of this game. One lucky person is going to play with these amazing folks. I sure hope it's you. I'll drop a link in the show notes, but you can join us at jessiesjourney.com slash quest dash four dash the dash cure. We're going to get that link fixed. I promise. You only have until 11 a.m. Eastern time, Friday, December 4th to enter. We're also running an amazing silent auction. You can bid on Dungeons and Dragons Adventures League certs, dice, books, swag, and more. Check it out at 32auctions.com slash squad up. That's 32auctions.com slash squad up. I'll of course include the link in the show notes. Next week, Cyberpunk 2077 finally drops. Yes, it's finally happening. No more delays. One of the most anticipated games of the year is going live, and it feels so good. Will you play on PC or console? That's the question I'm wrestling with right now. have to decide whether I want to upgrade my PC to stream, or just play the game at Potato Graphics. It's a tough choice. Also, Cortex Prime, the new tabletop RPG system that empowers you to build your own world, is now live. It's a modular game, so you can use what works and discard what doesn't. It's a unique experience, and every game will be different. Cortex powers Into the Motherlands, a show you may have seen on Cypher of Tears' Twitch channel. If you're curious, you can learn more about this game at CortexRPG.com. Tonight, my interview is with Blair Brown. He's a senior producer at Respawn Entertainment, working on Star Wars, and he's worked on incredible games like Jedi Fallen Order, and previously at Bioware on Mass Effect Andromeda, Dragon Age Inquisition, and more. He's also, as I mentioned, playing in Quest for the Cure this weekend. I hope you enjoy my chat about D&D and video games with Blair Brown. Hey Blair, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, thanks. So I'd love to chat with you a little bit about your experience with Dungeons and Dragons. What was your first Dungeons and Dragons game like? First one, uh, ooh. The board, the tabletop or, or video game, I guess would be the question. Well, the tabletop or the video game, if video game came first, I'd be very interested to hear about that. Yeah, it totally did. So for me, my first experience with it would have been Baldur's Gate 2, um, which Bioware made back in 2002, 2001 or something. So coming out of high school for me um, was my first yeah, experience into like, you know, I was always like a Tolkien fan, always into fantasy, mm-hmm. um, hardcore into that kind of stuff, but never like played Might and Magic, those kinds of games, mm-hmm. uh, Magic the Gathering, but never got the chance to play D&D for real. So Baldur's Gate uh, with its like, oh, were you actually using the rule set, um, mm-hmm. which I found incredibly confusing, but most of the code handled it. So I just kind of just clicked on people and they died, <laughs> but I didn't yeah. really understand 
why I'm writing spells to a spell book and why resting works the way it does. Um, Cause it's, I think they use second edition, yeah. um, which for somebody with no experience is like a little confusing. Yeah. Um, and they don't explain the D and D rules. They explain how to play the game, but not what's going on behind the scenes. So that was my first D and D experience, but I loved like the forgotten realms. Um, I love the setting. Uh, I like angels and demons kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, elves and dwarves and all the classes really hooked me um i actually i've been thinking about this a lot lately because i'm playing more D, but i feel like because i'm a kid of the 80s and my parents weren't really like into the satanic panic but they knew of it and like you hear all those stories of like these kids play D, so they like and they killed themselves or whatever all these like fear-mongering things yeah. that i never got like a box set but me and my friends would play something that we just called story game, okay. which was just like one of us had a story and we would draw a map and like we would get to a bridge and he'd be like, what do you want to do? And we'd be like, oh, we bought a rope in town. Like, we, I feel like we were playing D&D and if we knew that we could just go get the box set and it has all this stuff, you know, all the rules and the characters for you, we would have been doing that when we were like 12 and 14. But mm-hmm. um, I missed that, missed out on that. So played a lot of yeah, Baldur's Gate. Um, and then for me, my first real introduction to the tabletop was fifth edition because there was a lot of, before that, there was a lot of like, it seems still really hardcore uh, yeah. to me and to having having to have like a really, a group of like really nerdy friends to get into that. Um, whereas when fifth edition started coming out, it was hitting this moment of like, it's pop culture. Um, it's kind of from quote, normal people. Um, you don't have to be like this hardcore geek, which I was, but you know, you don't want to ask your friends are like, oh, how, like how into swords and sorcery are you? Um, but then you started to see all these other people being like, hey, yeah, I'd love to play D&D. Or I used to play D&D 15 years ago um, from my group of friends. Mm-hmm. And so when fifth edition came out, it seemed really user-friendly. Um, and they had the the Knights of Fendelver or Knights of Fendelver. What was it? The first little, the Lost Mines, Mm -hmm. um, which had everything contained in a little set. And I was like, okay, let's do this. And we were all like game devs looking for something to do on the weekends. And just nobody wanted to DM. So I was like, okay, I'll do this. Um, And just started from that. And that was maybe, when were we shipping Dragon Age? Five, six years ago? Yeah. Um, And so I was played with a group, DMing them for like three years. Uh, three, four years, finished a campaign. Uh, we were doing Strahd at the time okay. and then moved here to LA. So like I ended that right before we moved because uh, I'm a big fan of the in-person types of games. Yep. Um, and then played a campaign. I DM'd a campaign for a bunch of people at work. And then I just started up another one with my wife and like our little friend group. So yeah, uh, started with the games first, which is odd. Yeah, it, it's definitely not not something you hear, particularly Baldur's Gate Two, which you know, I, I my my story about Baldur's Gate Two is I never actually finished it. I I started it in the middle of my university exams, got to like ninety five percent of the way, and then as soon as exams ended, I never picked it up again. Go figure. No, I haven't beat it either. <laughs> oh jeez, yeah. But I've I've played it hundreds of hours. Yeah. Um. So. Has Dungeons and Dragons influenced your career at all as a video game producer? I don't know if it's influenced it as a video game producer. I feel like it's influenced me more as a consumer of media. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in that, and then like, because of my job, how I view stuff is probably a lot different than a lot of other people. Um, okay. Kind of like if you're a musician. Uh, so like I'm a drummer, when I go see a band, I'm getting a very different experience than I think a lot of people do, unless I specifically try to turn off my brain right. and just enjoy the moment. Um, Cause usually I'll just be like focused on the drummer. What are they doing? Oh, what, that was a cool lick they did. I can steal that. I'm going to practice that when I get home, like those kind of things. Um, so playing D and D has, has created this weird thing where it's like when I watch a TV show like the Mandalorian or um, actually that's a pretty, pretty good example. <laughs> um, they seem like they're just little, um, mini adventures that they go on. And I can see how I would plot that out in a game that I'm running. Yeah. Um, but then I take that kind of look now when I look at a TV show or I'm playing a video game and I can be like, oh, okay. So it's, you know, they set the hook, they had these clues, they led them, you know, the big bad showed up these three times. I can take that kind of stuff and then give that kind of feedback back at work. Um, yeah, it's just a different, it's giving me a different lens of looking at media and consuming okay. it. So, yeah. You've been involved with some amazing uh, games in your career, Jedi Fallen Order, to name just the most recent. Mm -hmm. How did you begin your career in video games? Which is a question that I'm sure I'm not the only one who wants an answer to. So, oh man. Video games is a very odd industry um, that there's no real set path into how to get into the business. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like almost everybody I talk to has a different way that they got in. They knew a guy, they knew somebody, um, maybe some went to computer programming school, some go to design school, some are artists. Um, they do auditions or they apply. Right. Uh, for me, it was, <laughs> so Bioware's in Edmonton, which is where I'm born and raised. Mm -hmm. I was, so I went to music school, was trying to make the music thing happen. Um, and at nights I would go bartend uh at a local just like a local pub in edmonton okay so over time though one of my regulars we would get to talking about music and, and just hip stuff and i found out he likes video games so we talked about video games a lot and one day i was just like oh what do you do and he's like oh i work at bioware like are you do you, do you even know who they are and i'm like hold up like i yes very much so yeah. um so then a couple more years passed um and he came in one day and he's like ah oh, just like he looked like down and kind of out of it. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, we just had these people come in for these interviews and like, they wouldn't even look at me when they talked and they would mumble. And like, I'm just, I just need somebody who's personable and, and uh, you know, just wants to, I guess what the term is like a gopher, but it's like, go get the coffee, go book the meeting, take the notes, that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and he's just like, Hey, why don't you're, you're kind of a nice guy. Why don't, why don't you apply? I was like, Oh, okay. So, I, you know, gave him all my info, applied online to the posting and did the interview and uh, they liked, they liked me enough. So I started as like production coordinator, I guess the role would be Okay. Uh, essentially doing like notes and uh, ordering pizza. If people were crunching, uh, literally just running around, whatever anybody needed. Mm -hmm. um, I was also really lucky that I essentially shared my office with the executive producer of the project. Okay. Um, so I had a very privileged position, I would say, compared to a lot of other people in the industry where I sat with, you know, a vice president of electronic arts, who was the EP of the game we were working on mm -hmm. and heard a lot of conversations that 
probably not a lot of people do or get the opportunity to. So I saw a lot of how things are actually run um, and the decisions he has to make and, and the hard conversations and the fun conversations, you know, like this really interesting window. Um, but career-wise, so I was like, ooh, this is really cool. I kind of want to do what he does. It seems like it's really challenging, but also fun. And it kind of leans to my skill set of right. I'm good at like getting everybody in a room and coming up with consensus of something and boiling down an idea, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. Yeah. Um, not providing direction, but finding it in everybody's ideas and be like, yes, let's go this way. Um, and so from production coordinator, like the career path at Electronic Arts is assistant producer, associate producer, one, two. And it's just, as you slowly go up, you gain more um, teams that you manage. So at assistant producer, you might manage a team of like four coders working on the build system, which is the system that makes um, a build every day so that people can play the game that they're working on. Okay. And then that'll grow. Um, you kind of get slotted into where your skill set lies because there's producers for narrative and there's producers for design and art and those kind of all the different disciplines at the mm. studio. Um, and then once you've done that, then you might be a producer of multiple disciplines and eventually a lead producer, which is somebody looking over the scope of the whole game. So uh, yeah, slowly worked my way up, um, had an opportunity to come down here, work on Star Wars that I couldn't really pass up. So I left, I left everybody behind in Edmonton. Uh, and came down to do some Star Wars, so. Uh, yeah, that doesn't seem like a hard decision in some ways. I mean, no, Star Wars no. is like the, the the pinnacle, I would imagine. So for those who don't know, um, what what is the job of a video game producer? Obviously, people understand the digital artists and the voice actors, but what is it that you actually do? So <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's a really, it's such an interesting interesting title because I don't actually produce any content. Um, like the designers put the stuff in the game. The mm -hmm. artists are actually making the walls and the floors and the characters. Um, there's, hmm, can't explain this. There's, there's two different skill sets required and different producers lean more heavily one side or the other. Okay. Um, so on the and different studios have different terminology for this at EA will classify them as producers and project managers. A lot of studios just call that role a producer and you do both jobs, um, which is kind of like how the, the star Wars team I'm working on works. Okay. Um, there's only like eight of us. Um, and so there's the hard skills. It's going to get really like technical termy stuff, but Let's do there's, it. there's the hard skills of the project management, which is, uh, building a schedule for your, we'll just say you're the environment artist producer. And so what you're doing is going to, uh, you know, the leads. So like the art director being like, oh, you know, how, how, how many levels do we have to make? And how, what people do you want on these levels? And how long do you think they should spend on them? And so they'll give you these constraints and what they think. And then you go down to the, um, the actual developers and be like, okay, well, you have this planet to work on for six months. Uh, let's break that down into two week tasks or maybe month long tasks or kind of whatever the developer's comfortable with. Um, and then you ask them, okay, well, is that enough time? Do you need more time? And so you build out a schedule that you then can present to the production directors, 
um, or the creative leads to be mm -hmm. like, you want this many planets with this many people, I can only make you four. Um, so we either need to cut the planets or hire more people or outsource. So you, you provide all this hard data that people can work with. Okay. Um, and then on the other side is this soft skills stuff where you're supposed to be uh, kind of like a voice for the player um, while also providing clarity and information to the development team on like what the vision of the game is. Um, you know, essentially where anybody on the team could come to you and be like, I have a question, I need an answer, and either I have the answer or I can find you the person that has the answer. Right. Um, doing stuff like, there's like basic skills of, yeah, take note. Like every producer will always still take notes in the meeting. But as you gain more experience, you can start to see the ebb and flow of a meeting. And uh, I think a really strong skill a producer needs is to be able to see that this meeting's over and like close it down and maybe you have to have another meeting after but not letting people linger in this limbo of like oh just one more thing just one more thing be like oh no that's for a different meeting or we're off track like this meeting was about this very specific thing and now we're talking about the end boss when this was about just like you know how does the lightsaber work or something like that right like it's like whoa this is we'll have a meeting about that let me just pull this back um and then also like i do a lot of uh, triaging is something we call where it's like I'm looking at all the issues and the bugs for the whole game mm -hmm. and with like the tech director and the creative director um, and the head of QA you're sitting in a room and you're going through this list and just deciding like what's the priority should it get done now or can we get it done later or is this something we don't have time to fix at all um, if we have too many of those well, do we need more time to finish the game or are we okay not fixing those, even though it's a quality hit? Like a lot of questions like that. Um, so yeah, a lot of providing information for people, like funneling vision um, from the creatives to the developers and also back up if a dev has a really good idea, being a champion for it and trying to sell that to um, a creative lead or, or somebody. Okay. And there's also, uh, it's long-winded, but there's also a, a part of my job that's making sure programmers and artists and designers are all speaking the same language because they really don't. And how, a, you know, we want lightsabers. Okay, well, a, a programmer might code that very differently than what's needed for the design of the game, um, just because they're reading the same words, but it's translating differently because how mm -hmm. their brains work. So yeah, okay. a lot of that kind of stuff. You said you sometimes have to act as the voice of the player. What did you mean by that? It's um, looking at the game as if I was playing it fresh. So um, yes, the design or the art style or this decision that we've made during development by whoever, you know, it's just something we've decided that this level is going to be like this. Um, but we're finding through playtesting, whether internal or external, that um, nobody's going left and they have to go left, but everybody keeps going right. Um, but the, you know, so that's a really bad experience because people are getting lost or they're not knowing how to get to the next part of the game or the next level. Um, and so taking that information and presenting it to the developers or the leads or whoever's in charge of that segment of the game right. um, in a way that's not just like, do it like this. 
more like, hey, players are getting lost at this moment. It probably, f you know, how can we fix this problem? So presenting them with the problem, then it's up to them to fix it. They're the creatives, <laughs> they're the experts. So maybe we just need to change the lighting so it leads you that way. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, um, you know, we need to knock down this wall or there needs to be a, a map prompt to be like, hey, open your map. There's a bunch of places you could go here. Right. Um, so those kind of things of like finding the moments of player frustration and presenting that to the team for them to solve it. Okay. So as you, as you mentioned, you, you moved from Bioware in Edmonton to Los Angeles to work at Respawn on Star Wars. And of course, as I'm sure I don't have to explain to you, Star Wars fans are amongst the most passionate human beings on the planet. Um, as a senior producer working on Star Wars games, how do you handle criticism from passionate fans? Not that I expect Jedi Fallen Order got much criticism because it was breathtaking, but... No, the people people have criticism of everything, and I don't know if Star Wars fans are more passionate than uh, Bioware fans because they can be uh, equally. From my experience, um, and passionate's an interesting word. So there's 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 passion, and I really like that from fans, and they know what they want, and um, they're really excited and they're hyped up, and maybe something doesn't land with them, what they had in their mind of mm -hmm. how this story should go or what should happen to these characters. Um, and they can be disappointed or they can be excited because it was a surprise or whatever. And I like that kind of stuff. And I like seeing fan art and I like interacting with people on like Twitter or meeting them at a convention and just talking about, oh, that remember that thing when that follower betrayed that thing? Oh my God, like, yeah. those are really fun moments. Um, the stuff I don't like is when we try to hide saying, oh, those passionate fans, we love your passion. And they're the ones that are like abusing people online. Right. I see that a lot from big companies being like, you know, we love your passion. Thanks for that. And it's like, no, that wasn't passion. They were like telling you to like go kill yourself. <laughs> um, so when talking with passionate fans, like actually ones that really care about the IP and might have some criticism, but presented in a, in a normal way um, where they're just like, hey, like, I don't understand why X happened after Y. Like, why'd you guys make those decisions? Um, that's an easy conversation to have. It's like, oh, because of time, because we just thought it would be a better story. We thought it'd be a better moment. You know, it didn't land. That sucks. You know, we learned that lesson, but we thought it was going to be a cool thing. Mm -hmm. When it gets like super negative that I just, I don't engage at all. I don't, I don't like to give them any, it's not worth my time um because i don't feel like they're coming at it with good faith i feel yeah. like it's a bad faith argument yeah um so that's yeah with the star wars fandom they can be fairly vocal but i find in general most people are really good and when you bump into them at a convention especially in person it's nothing but a really good conversation it's the anonymity of the online that i find uh really upsetting like stuff like you know uh what happened with Ryan Johnson and people getting run off yeah. Twitter and stuff like that. It's just, it's disappointing to see if anything. Yeah. And I think that generally gamers are pretty kind and generous people and doing what I'm doing with quest for the cure and raising money for charity and all of the amazing uh, talent who's come on board and all the people who are supporting us. Uh, I've seen that firsthand. And of course I've also seen vitriol from people um, mm. not directly, but, uh, of course, directed at, at some people that I know. And and so um, I think generally they're good, but uh, I think there is that subset of fans who has a level of aggression that might not uh, befit what 
we might describe as a hobby, right? So yeah, that's and the thing too is that it's such a very small subset um, when yeah. you get down to it, but they can just be very very loud and vocal. Um, whereas like the vast majority of people are having a great time. They love everything with like if you're a fan, I love all the movies. I love all of all all the games, all the media, um, some I don't like as much as others, but uh, it doesn't keep me up at night. So. Yeah. And I feel like most people are like that. Yeah. Um, so I think it's safe to say with your experience, you're an expert on gaming at this point. Uh, it, always, listen, always more to learn. That's what I'm saying. That's the message that I'm saying. You're, you're, you're my expert on gaming. Okay. Yep. But what, what, what makes a good game to you? What, what are the elements that, that go into making a good game? Uh, for me personally, I think this is different for everybody. Just like, what's a good movie? What's my favorite movie versus mm -hmm. yours might be totally yeah. different. Um, I like something that, this is a lot of like wishy-washy wording, but like how it feels on the sticks, um, you okay. know, c playing on console. Um, so like take something like uh, Call of Duty or, Apex Legends, which Respawn makes as well. Like mm -hmm. there's something about how it feels when you hit somebody with the bullet. And it's not really, you can't really explain it, but there's just something about how that feels or how it feels to um, do a running slide in Apex. Um, or in our game Jedi, there's something about how when you force push for the first time, when you get that power, uh, you suddenly, you, something clicks and you're like, oh yeah, now I'm like a, Jedi like this feels really really good mm -hmm. um, so for me it's about how it feels on the sticks like that moment to moment um, responsiveness um, is a big part of it a lot of games have this incredible animations and it's really beautiful but uh, when I click a button to do my thing there's like a little bit of a lag so that doesn't feel super good to me mm -hmm. um, I like things to be a bit more immediate that's why I like a lot of like platformers because it feels like nailing those jumps right. um, feels really good. Um, and then story, I think is the really, really good one, for, big one for me, but not in the sense of um, amount of words or um, length or production value. I think it's about little character moments and a company okay. that does it really, really well, um, who I don't think a lot of people would say is like a story game company. Like when you think of, uh, Naughty Dog or Bioware, you're like, oh, that's, those are the story guys. So you're expecting mm -hmm. a big story. But a company I really love called Supergiant Games, who makes Bastion, Transistor, Hades just came out. Oh, yeah. They do story in such a subtle way that it's actually one of the few times I've ever had to stop playing to make a decision. Whereas like if I'm playing, you know, uh, most games, I'm picking you know, I'm playing Mass Effect and I'm just like, no, I want to be the bad guy. You know, I'm, I'm like metagaming it yeah. a bit to be that guy. Um, whereas a moment comes up in Bastion near the end and you have to make a choice. And for me, I had to stop and be like, I know this doesn't matter. <laughs> like the game's almost over and it's just, it's uh, how you like reset the world or whatever. But I had to make a choice between him having all of his friends still or resetting the world so the world's restored, but they will lose their friendship. Right. And I had to sit there and just be like, this is so like powerful and important. And um, they did something not similar, but something as good in Hades, I felt, for how they're telling the story within okay. the game mechanics, um, which was really interesting because it's about trying to escape hell, but then you die. 
but that's all part of the story. The death isn't just like Super Mario where you just play the level again. It like every time you die, you got a bit more of the story and because um, you're the god of death. And so dying doesn't actually matter. Um, I, li I, I like those kind of things. So for me, it's, you know, the twitchiness on the controls, how good that feels. And then like a story that surprises me with just small character moments, I think more so okay. than like a cool plot or cool, cool, yeah, lots of words. That doesn't work for me. Yeah, the, the, so talking while about Jedi Fallen Order, one of the things that it sort of simultaneously annoyed me, but I liked it in the grand scheme of things is mm -hmm. how you had to go back to all the planets as you got your, your force abilities, right? Um, in the moment, I'm like, I just wanna clear this planet because at the time I was trying to get the game 100%, clear yep. this planet and I don't wanna come back to it, I just wanna do it. But in the, pro in the process of going back to all of those and discovering all of those secrets, it really did feel like an evolution of the character you started as this character who doesn't know anything oh well of course i can't do that of course i can't do that i'm just a guy who happens to have a lightsaber and i sort of used it once but i'm you know in hiding now and but as you're going back to those planets and using those powers it it more feels like the hero's journey mm -hmm. and it, it sort of feels like you're able to and i don't want to say make this diminish the accomplishment of jedi fallen order because it's amazing but like get more out of what you already did like you're going to all these different places and worlds you already created but it's feeling like a new experience because you have all these new powers and you're doing all these different things so yeah, we 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 nailed some of those moments and we didn't some other ones um i think for looking forward we're we want to have the same kind of feeling but only on the positive end we don't want people to be feel like it's a slog to backtrack and stuff yeah. so we're looking at that while we uh, work on uh, future stuff, but there, the game was really hard to um, sell to hires up, higher ups um, when we were going through development because mm -hmm. um, there was such large, it, it's such a slow burn of um, not having force, for example, not having force push. And you're going through this level and it's like, oh, this is a bit like tedious and like fighting some of these guys really sucks. And like, but then after an hour, you hit this loop where you have force push and you run into that enemy again. And you're like, oh, now I just push the rocket back at him out of the air. And you're like, wow, I feel powerful. Yeah. Um, we also had moments, I think, where, you know, because we didn't have um, fast travel or anything like that, where you're going around the level and you're like, oh, I'm kind of a bit lost, da, da, da. you go this way, go that way. Oh, you hit this door, you're like, okay, and you open it. And that opening that door creates a shortcut for you. It's very like Dark Souls or Bloodborne where there's mm -hmm. these moments of, um, uh, you're just kind of, you're just about to get frustrated or maybe, you know, if you don't do it well, you're leaning too far into frustrating the player. Um, but if you don't push it far enough, then it doesn't feel as rewarding. When you hit this save point or this shortcut unlock or this loop that we've created, and you're like, oh, I know where I am, and now I can get to this thing easier, and da da da. da. So, it's a really hard balance, and that's why we do just do a ton of playtesting yeah. <laughs> for the game. Yeah, don't. I'm not trying to diminish how much I love Jedi Fallen Order. It was more an example of this thing that I didn't think I wanted became one of the most rewarding parts of the game. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I got to Bogano, and I'm like, oh, just let me move the let me move the rock. I don't want to come back here in six hours. Damn right, I went back in six hours. Yep. It took me probably twelve. <laughs> So um, 
We're so excited to have you joining us for Quest for the Cure, which of course yes. is this coming Saturday uh, at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. I know you watched uh, one, at least one of the previous episodes of the game. So what are you expecting uh, this weekend from uh, episode three? Um, I'm, I don't know what I'm expecting. What I'm going to try to do is be as funny as my wife was last time. Um, one of my most memorable moments, I think she turned into a Kraken. Yep. Um, yep. And, and that fight was, was pretty exciting. Um, so no, I'm just hoping that I can hold up, uh, uh, keep it interesting and fun for people. Um, no, no expectations really just, just really wanting to have a good time and, um, playing with the creator of uh, the Forgotten Realms is, uh, a dream. I don't even know that was a dream that could be, be dreamed. So it's, it's a amazing for me, it's just gonna be awesome. And I hope we can just, um, use that fun and excitement that we're all going to have to raise a bunch of money. Uh, maybe beat you guys from last time. I'm yeah. I'm 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 hoping I'm hoping we can. Uh, you know, uh, and Ed is uh, such a generous human being. Uh, I'm and when you said that you know you read the Forgotten Realms and, and you were so familiar with it, it I'm like oh my god this is gonna be this. Is gonna I, be I read cool. all of the like I'm a big fan of the campaign books like fifth edition stuff. Just mm -hmm. I just like to read them. I just like to read the stories and the characters and the the lore and stuff. That's why I keep buying them, even though I know I'm never gonna um, like. That's well, you can't see all I can't see it on the camera, but um, I, I read them knowing that like my 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 campaigns are never getting to all these books, right? Like we're just doing um, the Ice Maiden right now. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's oh, good. Um, uh, would you like to share a little bit of what uh, of the character you're going to be playing this coming weekend? Oh, okay. What did I name them? I can't remember. Grizzle? I think <laughs> Grizzle. it's Grizzle. Yeah. Uh, Grizzle is a uh, little um, little goblin um, fighter with a what would be like a normal uh, person's one-handed sword um, as their like main two-handed sword, but on their back. Um, is a, I would say, an oversized two-handed axe. Um, so I don't know how they're going to wield it, but as a uh, ruin knight, they have some special abilities that I hope to surprise some people with uh -huh. if they haven't um, read Tasha's Cauldron yet um, for the new class. So yeah, there's there's something there's something cool they can do. So I'm really excited too. I've never played a fighter, and I was going through all the subclasses, and I'm like, well, which way do I want to go with this? And then I I read the new ones, and yeah, it just seems like it would fit, because um, there's some giant stuff, but like giants are kind of close to dwarven stuff, and you know, I, I I feel like there's something there we can play with. I I I think so. I I really like the class, and not to not to spoil anything, mm -hmm. uh, but I have written a cameo for Sam's character in this adventure. Perfect. She yes. does she does make an appearance because uh, I was inspired by some of the stuff that happened. Uh, I didn't think it would be. Uh, uh, she is uh, going to make an appearance because I didn't think it would be the same uh, if if she didn't. I think people would not awesome. do that. So, uh, Blair, thanks so much. I will see you on Saturday, and I look forward to talking to you on Twitter between now and then. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Well, that's my show for this week. Thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And remember, if the die is cocked, it doesn't count. See you Saturday night for Quest for the Cure.